You know, the stories that we like the best are the stories that uh, begin with once upon a time and they end with happily ever after. Those are the kind of stories that we love, but in between uh, the beginning and the ending, usually uh, you find this couple meets, they fall in love, but then there are some troubles that take place. And so we're going to give you a little quiz to see if you can figure out who some of these characters are about love. Here's the first one. Who's this? Snow White. And what was the trouble that came to her life? Do you remember? She ate the apple she wasn't supposed to eat. Sounds like another story uh, many, many years before that. Um, Here's the second one right here. Who's this the story of? Yes, Cinderella. And we remember the trouble that she got into. Uh, At midnight, the carriage was going to turn back into a pumpkin, and it took place. And then finally, here's the third one. Who is this? Sleeping Beauty. She pricks her finger on the spinning wheel, and she has a hundred years where she's asleep. But in all three stories, things have a way of working out somehow. Um, Snow White marries Prince Charming. Cinderella marries Prince Charming. Sleeping Beauty, who does she marry? Yeah, Prince Charming. Apparently, there were no laws against bigamy back in those days, you know? Like, have you ever, like, we read these stories to our kids, and we think they're so wonderful, but sometimes you kind of wonder, like, what were they thinking? And think about the poor wife of Prince Charming. I mean, how is her life ever going to be happily ever after when her husband is marrying all these people? You know, like, it it just doesn't always work. Well, folks... The reality is every single person in this auditorium, we want to be happy. But the other reality is, is that we don't live in a happily ever after world. In this series, we've been talking about it's okay to not be okay. That it's okay for us to be real, to share our true selves, to be honest, to be transparent. And we see this in the Bible all the time with different characters of the Bible, but specifically in a book called Psalms. That if you took your Bible and you kind of opened it right to the very middle, you would come to this book called Psalms, where there are 150 of them, where each writer is very, very honest. And today I want us to look at Psalm 88. And this is what it says. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. In other words, it is not okay. My life is not okay. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. And so you get this sense that things are not going well. And now the writer does even something uh, more amazing is that he actually starts to blame God. And this is what he says. You... God, have put me in the lowest pit. You, God, have taken from me my closest friends. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And throughout this whole psalm, there's this very honest person talking about, my life is not okay, and it's mainly your fault, God. And then he goes on to conclude with these words. You, God, have taken me from my friends and my neighbors. 
darkness is my closest friend. Now, each week we try to do a good job of creating the best experience for you. And uh, when Caleb picks out songs, we never tell him, pick out a song that will say, darkness is my closest friend. We pick happy songs. We want you to leave happy. And as I was thinking about it, that, you know, if you look at all of the different songs in our culture, there aren't very many that talk about darkness is my closest friend, except one by Simon and Garfunkel. Do you know the words? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to what? To talk to you again. And sure, throughout this song, he talks about the sounds of silence. That silence is around us. And the things in our life are silent. But sometimes those things in life that are silent, that we don't say out loud, they resonate greatly with our spirit. You know, sometimes the sounds of silence ask questions like this. How come, God? Why me? Why does this have to happen this way? You see, in this series, it's okay to not be okay. We've been challenged to say, let's be real. Let's be raw. Let's not pretend. Let's actually be who you are or what you're going through. And today, we're going to talk about some disappointment and pain and maybe even some hurt as it relates to marriage and separation, and divorce, and singleness. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about different people in my life that are going through stuff right now, and I think about a buddy of mine who uh, his wife recently came to him and said, I'm leaving you, and now he deals with that struggle. I'm thinking about a woman who uh, found out that her husband, who she'd been married to for close to two decades, has been having an affair with him, from the very beginning. And now she's going through that pain. I'm thinking of a couple that I know who are extremely attractive. They make a lot of money, close to a half million dollars. They have the big house. They have huge uh, cars and uh, most up-to-date everything. And everyone looks at them and they want to be like them. They look at them and they say, hey, I admire them. I look up to them. I want to be like them. But what everybody doesn't know is something that I know, and it's the fact that they haven't slept together for years and years and years. I'm thinking about a widow that I know whose husband was taken away from her, and uh, while he was sick, she prayed over and over, God, would you please, please heal my husband so that we could grow old together? And God didn't answer that prayer, and now decade after decade, she's been alone, and it feels as if, her heart had been ripped apart. Thinking about a couple of little kids that I remember being in their room and they said, hey, we want to pray. And they started to pray. And they started praying, God, would you bring our mommy and daddy back together? And God didn't answer that prayer. And their parents got divorced and they dealt with that. I remember a woman who came to church every single Sunday. And every Sunday she would pray, God, would you help my husband to actually turn to you, that we could be a family that was committed to you? And she prayed this over and over again, but God never answered her prayer. 
You know, folks, I want to tell you that whatever it is that you're going through, that maybe you've been trying to hide, whatever it is, whatever your hurt, whatever your disappointment that you have around marriage or separation or divorce or your singleness or widowhood, whatever it is, it's okay for you to not be okay. Now, maybe for some of you, when I read those categories, you're like, well, that doesn't fit me at all. Maybe you're married and you're like, my life is great. You are happier with your spouse every day than the day before. You have never had any marital disappointment. Your your sexual life is so amazing that it feels like you're on a gallop on... uh, This is not going to be good because I just messed it up. Sorry, babe, my wife's up there. And... Okay, I'm just going to read it and then act like I said it the first time and you can laugh, okay? Your sexual life has been off the charts. Uh, and look, I can't even do it now. You're on one long gallop down libido lane. That was it. And it just didn't make sense. Okay, let's try to come back. But if you're married, you've never hidden, you've never uh, hurt the person, the other person has never hurt you, you've gone through your life and you've just never had that kind of pain. And if that's you, if you've never had any of those things ever happen to your life, I want to meet you after this celebration because either you or your spouse is Jesus. And I'm pretty sure he was single, so that's not it. But for the rest of us folks who live in the real world, We experience real pain and real hurt and real disappointment on a regular basis. I think of one of my friends, Karen Hansel. She knows the pain of a story of hoping that it would end happily ever after, and it didn't. And this morning, I asked Karen if she would come and share part of her story, and it's a very vulnerable thing to kind of do that, and so if you would... Um, Please join me in giving Karen a hand. As a young girl, I would put an old lace tablecloth on my head and pretend it was my veil, and I dreamed of being a bride. And as I grew, I dreamed of being a wife and a mother. And as a teenager, I thought marriage could be beautiful. I knew it wasn't perfect, but I thought with God at the middle and the center of our marriage that it would work. Today, I believe that marriage is sacred and beautiful. I believe that it is God's way, and I believe that God hates divorce. Yet, I was divorced. Here's my story. I was married at the age of 21. It was a beautiful wedding. I wore a long cathedral-length train on my white, beautiful dress and a long veil. My cousin sang at my wedding. One of the songs they sang was I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And some of the words, the lyrics in that song say, If in the dark, if in the dark you lose sight of love, hold my hand and have no fear and to unravel. I was married to my ex-husband for 14 years. Early in the marriage, I discovered that things weren't as they seemed, and I realized that I was part of an emotionally abusive marriage. I kept going. I prayed. And I begged God to change my ex-husband. 
I begged him to make me a better wife, to do whatever needed to be done to make the marriage work. I needed a miracle. I had two children, and divorce was the worst thing that could happen to them, right? That's what everyone says. And for the most part, I didn't tell people what was going on. I didn't tell them about my pain and hurt. I was ashamed, and I was embarrassed. Why couldn't I make this work? I remember sitting on my couch after being married seven years, bawling my eyes out, thinking, this is my life, this is my marriage. But I stayed. I thought it was the right thing to do. I had grown up in a family and an extended family and in a church where the only reason you should get divorced was for infidelity. I thought my family wouldn't understand and my church wouldn't understand, so I kept going. I read marriage books and I prayed. I tried to be a better wife, but things only continued to get worse. The emotional abuse continued, and now my children were falling subject to emotional abuse. I tried Christian counseling more than once, and most of that time I went alone. I continued to beg God, and I went to the leaders of my church for help. I separated from my ex-husband, and then I went back because the church wanted me to go back. The pain and anxiety was so bad that I had to go on an antidepressant. And I asked God, why? Why isn't my marriage better? I had been a Christian since I was a child, and I knew God loved me. I just didn't know if he loved me as much as he loves other people. Was he punishing me for something? Was he mad at me? Was I not praying enough or correctly? Did I not have enough faith? Divorce is wrong, and I will be sinning if I leave my husband. Some of my family didn't agree with me wanting to leave the marriage, and it was a very dark and painful time. But I kept praying, and I kept seeking God. God sent a Christian friend, not from my church, and God opened my mom's eyes to the pain and the abuse. And both of these women were a support to me. I read God's word and meditated on scripture, And one day, I was reading a devotional by Sherry Rose Shepard. And she says in that devotional that if you continue in an emotionally abusive relationship, you are no longer a victim, you are a volunteer. And I said, wow. And I said, I finally know that I have to leave this toxic relationship. It was a decision that I had to make without the support of my church, And I was breaking the promise that I had made to God and my friends and my family on my wedding day. But it was a decision that I made between God and myself. And it's okay to not be okay. My divorce was a dark time for me and very painful. But God never left me. In fact, he carried me. He wasn't angry at me. And he showed me that I can't change someone else. He showed me that he didn't want me to live in a life of abuse. And he showed me a love that is greater, richer, deeper, and more beautiful than I ever knew. Now I know that God loves me no matter what. He has great plans for me. They may not be the plans that I envisioned, but they are beautiful and amazing. God gave me a new home and a new church my children were okay. I hadn't ruined their lives with divorce. And God blessed me beyond my wildest dreams when he brought my current husband into my life. 
My faith grew deeper and stronger as a result of depending completely and solely on Christ. I still believe in marriage. I still believe it is the best. And God loves me and he loves you more than you can imagine. My life first has become Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine according to his power and work that is within us. You know, as I uh, listen to Karen's story, I'm just so grateful to be a part of this church family where we really do try to be real with where we're at and that we believe in a God who is good and that he brings healing in ways that we don't always see. But once we're real with him, that we're able to do that. And just by the way, I just wanted to say that if you're divorced or married or single or you're widowed in some way, I want to encourage you to really consider a small group. If you're not in a small group, it's the best way for you to be able to do life with other people and to do it well. And so um, this summer, we'll be having all of our small groups. We'll be meeting once each month just for a cookout to get to know people. It'll be a great way for you to connect. There'll be games that'll be played and if you're interested at all, on your Connect card um, that is up here on the screen here in just a second. There it is. Uh, if you just check the upper right-hand corner, um, that will help us know that you're interested. It doesn't commit you to anything, but it just allows us to know that we can reach out to you and maybe you would have that experience to where you wouldn't go through this life alone. And when it's not okay, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, uh, in. Now, for the rest of our time, what I simply want to do is go through some kind of statements on marriage and singleness that we talk about in our culture and often we talk uh, in the church as well. And here's the first one. It says this, and you can either put true or false on your, this is a little way for you to decide, true or false on the program, or you can do it on the app as well. If you find the right person, Marriage is easy. What do you think? Yeah, holy cow, that was good. Uh, the first celebration, people were very confused on that one, okay? Um, but yeah, I think it's false too. You know, a lot of times there is just this notion that even within the church, you will hear people say things like this. Someplace out there is the perfect person for you. And when I see them, I'll know. I just know. Then it will be so easy. Sorry to bust your bubble, folks, but that's not the way real life happens. The Bible is filled with messed up marriages. Multiple marriages where it was not perfect and none of them were easy at all. I mean, the Bible doesn't have fairy tale endings to the marriage. There isn't a single story that says, that they got married and they lived happily ever after. You see, in the, in the Bible, marriage never delivers happily ever after. Only Jesus delivers happily ever after. Let me say that again. Marriage never delivers happily ever after. Only Jesus delivers happily ever after. 
Now, our culture will tell you in almost every single romantic comedy that you ever watch um, will tell you something like this. Uh, If we go to the next slide. Marriage does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you like Jesus. Now, our culture says marriage exists to make you happy. I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't. It does not exist to make you happy. It exists to make you more like Jesus. It exists to rub off the sand that is on the edges and that is a struggle. Marriage allows you to look more and more like who God wants you to be. It's the best spiritual formation that I know to help your marriage. And it happens with singleness as well, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But let me just say to all of you married folks, if you are married, when you got married, the one thing that you didn't realize but you know now is that that person that you love is a sinner. That more than any other thing that defines who they are, they are a sinner. So if you would, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, whether you're married to them or not, and smile real nicely. Just smile at them and then go, you're a sinner, okay? Okay, no commentary, no commentary, just the words, all right. Well, Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, wrote to one of his churches, and he started it out by saying this. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again, in other words, Jesus is going to come back again. And when he does, you'll show up to the real you, the glorious you. In other words, Paul is saying that there are two yous. Now, that doesn't mean that you have a multiple personality, okay? Although some of you, we wonder sometimes, okay? But he's not saying that. But what he's really saying is that there are two yous, and here they are. The first one is the current you or the sinful you. This is the junked up, messed up, who you are right now. This is the immature you, the current you, the sinful you. But then he says in the scripture, there is also a glorious you. There is another you that hasn't been seen yet in its fullness, but one day it will be. No more sin, no more junk, no more of that kind of stuff. It will all be wiped away. But what happens, folks, when you fall in love, you're just so goo goo gaga. And you're like, ah, And when I first met Jennifer, I thought she was an angel from God that had come down. I had seen a little piece of the glorious you in her. And I was so excited about that. And we dated and everything went well and the honeymoon went great. And then we came back and we started doing life together. And this is what I realized. She didn't have as... No, don't put that on yet. She didn't have as much of this as she had that in her. And the thing is, when she looked at me, she thought, I didn't even see this. This is who I see. And that was the real current me. Now, 
when you marry, when you get married, what do you think you see most of all? The glorious you or the current you and your spouse? The current you, right? That's who you see. And you see them so up close that you can't help but let them know how messed up they are. And you see their flub-ups, their mess-ups, their screw-ups in this life. Again, the Bible is very clear. He, uh, scripture is very clear and it says, be very, very careful. It's like a warning. Be careful who you marry. Now, let's look at this next verse and read it out loud together. Everybody out loud. A nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. Folks, that's in the Bible. Welcome to marriage. Now, I want to give a little illustration of what this looks like. I have really bad skin. Um, I got sunburned a lot as a kid. I, I don't know why it is, but I think the parents that were like in my generation... They didn't believe in, like, suntan lotion. You know what I mean? Just go out there, get burnt, whatever. Now we spray our kids down with, like, 1,000, whatever that is, you know. They'll never have sunburns. Um, but uh, my skin uh, has had a lot of sun damage to it, and regularly I have to go to my family doctor, and uh, he will get this gigantic, like, magnifying glass, and then he has this huge light that he shines on all the pores of my body, and especially on my back, and he starts, you know, looking at it. And I'll never forget one time he was doing this examination. And, you know, he's behind me and he's looking at it. And all of a sudden he goes, hmm, hmm, hmm. And when he did that, I haven't told him this yet, but I want to tell him now, my anxiety went through the roof. I'm like, whenever a person goes, hmm, like that. It's not like a good thing. Now, the reason I say that is when people get up close to us, we don't always like it. We don't like to be, get people close to us because they're going to see some stuff that we don't want anyone else to see. That's why most human beings spend most of their time trying to hide that kind of stuff from other people. And this is the human condition. Folks, getting married is a lot like going to the doctor to get a skin test, and the person you're married to looks at your life and they go, hmm, hmm, hmm. Because that person knows something about you that other people don't see. You can be anxious. You can be greedy. You can be selfish. You can be lazy. You can be opinionated. You can talk a whole lot. Sometimes you don't talk at all. You can be resentful. You can judge. You can want to be the center of attention of every room. And they can see that because they are the closest to you. And you can't hide it. Like a leaky faucet, you can't turn it off. You can't get away from it. And that's the current you. And that's the glorious you that God wants to work in. 
And the task of marriage, folks, is not primarily to make you happy. It is to make you to look more like Jesus, to help you become the glorious you that he wants. But it ain't easy. So here's the second kind of uh, statement on marriage and singleness. There is a perfect someone out there for you. True or false? Yeah, false, I think. Um, I mean, perfection, folks, is like really, really hard to find. You know, I've heard this kind of thing said to single people before uh, in churches. If you're just content with God and you live being content, if you stay content, it'll be great. But if you're single and you're, discont- and you're discontent, what will happen is God is watching you. And you have to completely become content. And once you become completely content, then God will send you a perfect someone for you. Maybe. Maybe not. And you might hear this. Well, you just have to have more faith. If you're single and you want to be married, well, you just have to have more faith. Just have some more faith and everything will be great. And if you have more faith, then God will bring the perfect person to you. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Now, there's something very interesting about the status of marriage and singleness in the Bible, according to Paul. He's talking about marriage when he says this. Are you married? Do not look. Oh, are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Think about that. Are you unmarried? Yeah, I am. Well, don't get married. Really? Paul said that? But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face how many? Many what? Those who are married will face what? Many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. And then it goes on to say, What I mean is that the time is short for this world, for this world in its present form is passing away. Now, what's going on here? Like, has Paul just had a really bad day? He's like, I'm just going to tell people don't even get married. Like, if you're unmarried, just stay that way. What's this about? Well, one thing that I found is that Christianity, when it first started, did something that was counterculture to the day. And it's still counterculture today. Christianity actually says that being single is an honorable way to live. Maybe even the most noble way to live. But if you look at other religions, what you find is that's not the case. And we find it in their leaders. Buddha was married. Confucius was married. Muhammad was married 13 times. Solomon in the Old Testament was married to a thousand women, both concubines and his wives. But when the rise of Christianity came, this is what we found. Jesus was what? He's single. And Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament, most scholars believe he was what? Single. Christianity does not idolize marriage like other religions do. Christianity is saying, and again, this is counter to our culture, marriage is not the road to happily ever after. Jesus Christ is the road to happily ever after. 
And Christianity changed the way that people viewed singleness. Now, for some of you, maybe you feel a call to singleness, and we want to celebrate that. For others of you, though, maybe you feel a sense of like, I'm single, and it's the thing that is the biggest struggle in my life. I don't want that. I want someone who will love me and pour into me, and I can do the same for them. Wherever you're at, if you're a single person, I want you to know that it's okay to have the calling that you have. You do not have to compare your calling to anyone else. Because this is what I know. When ultimate pain and hurt come into your life, marriage does not take it away. But the one who knows you best and loves you most takes it away. And just by chance, if you are married, all of you who are married, um, you need to be careful that you don't get very smug. That somehow you have something that people don't have. Because you have to remember, the person that we follow was single himself. Now, let's go on to the next statement, and it's this. If you're in a bad marriage and you pray hard enough, it will be healed. True or false? Well, before you answer, hold on. There's a third one. Maybe. Maybe. I know if it were me, and I was going through this, and I and Jennifer and I have gone through disappointments and hurt in our marriage, and it always hasn't been great, is that prayer was the thing that we didn't give up on. We just kept praying and praying and praying and believing that God would actually move. You know, in Jesus' day, there were some really, really bad marriages. And one day, some of the rabbis, the teachers of the law, came to him and they said this. They said, why is it that Moses... And you might want to underline this word, commanded us to write a certificate of divorce. The reason they would write the certificate is that it actually would be a help to women, that they had something that this guy left me. And they said, why did Moses command us to do that? And look what Jesus said. He said this, no, 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 no. Moses, what's that word? Permitted. Now, is there a difference between permitted and commanded? Yeah. Yeah. It's like huge. So Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. Moses permitted for you to get this certificate of divorce because the, what is it? Why is the reason? Hardness of your heart. Hardness of your heart. The idea here is that even though rabbis would say, hey, there are some biblical grounds for you to do this, even in the Old Testament, that you could be divorced because of infidelity or desertion or failure to provide. Jesus says, even when those things happen, if you can, all that you, with all your ability, try to reconcile the marriage. You ought to try to heal up the marriage. No, I have to tell you, I have seen marriages here in the jar where people had thrown in the towel, that people saw it as a lifeless relationship, and there was healing that took place. Because God can do that, and God does do that but it takes both spouses working together and inviting people into their life to hold them accountable to have godly counsel and wisdom and support however there are many times that what happens is one of the two spouses has such a hardness of their heart and they become stubborn that they don't want to repent, they don't want to do anything that would say that they're at fault with anything whatsoever. And when that happens, 
divorce often comes. And let me just say this, that if you are a divorced person and you're here today, I want you to know this, that you are not beyond God's love. You are not beyond His forgiveness. You are not beyond His redemption. And sometimes what happens is the church gets really weird about this and they do stuff that is weird. Ruth Graham, who was the wife of Billy Graham, the great evangelist, um, talked about uh, the struggles that she had in her own marriage with Billy and said, you know, it was many disappointments and he hurt me and there was pain and there was struggle. And someone asked her, said, well, did you ever consider divorcing him? And this was her response. She said, I never considered divorce, but I did think of murder several times. I'm not making that up, folks. It's like there. But this is what I know. There are churches out there that if you murder somebody and you repent and you come back, they will let you do any kind of leadership within the church. But if you get divorced, then you're like on plan B towards ministry for the rest of your life. If you're divorced, you can't do anything because of man-made understanding. And I'm telling you folks, that is not Scripture. If you're divorced, you are not beyond God's love and God's grace. Here's the last statement. Your unbelieving spouse will become a Christian if you pray hard enough. And hold on before you decide. I'd say maybe. I mean, why would you not want to pray for that? Sure wouldn't stop praying. I mean, I've seen it happen before. There's a woman in our church uh, who prayed for her husband day after day after day. And every Sunday on the Connect card on the back that gave prayer requests, she would write down, please help my husband come to Christ. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And I'll never forget, he walked in the church for the first time And I got to meet him, and God did uh, a great thing in his life on that day. But then he kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And eventually, he gave his life to Christ. God healed him in tons of areas of his life. And then he actually got baptized a couple of years ago, and God did that great. Now, there's another woman that I know in our church that almost every single week, she writes on the back of of her Connect card for God to bring her husband into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she prays just as hard, and she prays and she prays and she prays, and it hasn't happened yet. And you might ask, well, why is that? I don't know. I don't know why God answers one prayer and why he doesn't another. But in saying all that, this is what I would say. I would not stop praying. I would not stop praying. Folks, the pain of a single person and the pain of a married person will never get healed because of any other reason except of what Jesus Christ did on the cross because of his amazing love for each one of you. The only thing I know is that the sins of married people and the sins of single people will only be forgiven at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for you. All I know is that Christianity is a community that says whatever your history is, 
you are welcome to come and be a part of the family. Jesus tells a story one time where there was a woman who had been married five times to five different guys, and she was shacking up with a different person, and Jesus says, you can come and be a part of my family. Another woman who had committed adultery, and Jesus said, you can come and be a part of my family. Prostitutes, married people, single people, Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, the rich, the poor, people of all kinds with all kinds of track records, Jesus said, you can now come and be a part of my family. And it's okay for you not to be okay. Because it is not marriage that will make you happy. It is a relationship with Christ that leads to happily ever after. Folks, I simply want to say that you are a part of a bigger story than what you're dealing with right now. You have a hope that is bigger than this world. And the story goes like this. Once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And then all of a sudden, he created people and then things went bad. And a woman ate a forbidden fruit and a man ate a forbidden fruit. And the curse came and death came. And their marriage got really, really messed up. And blame came And polygamy came, and divorce came, and infidelity came, and cruelty came, and abuse came, and children who were devastated came. And everything in the world got really, really dark. Everybody's life got so messed up that there was only spiritual death around all the time. And then, one day, another man came. And he said, I'm starting a new family, a brand new family, and I want you to be a part of it. And he said, anyone, anyone can be a part of this family. And he knew when he started being that accepting that people would not like it. And they killed him for this, as he knew they would. And they hung him on a cross between two criminals. And he laid in a tomb. And people said, now he'll be forgotten. Just like all the other prophets, he'll be forgotten. Nobody will remember him. And then three days later, three days later, he rose again from the grave. And he started this new movement that said, everybody's welcome. Everyone can be a part of the family. And then he left. But he said this, one day I will come back. The prince will come and he will reclaim his bride, the church, and we will live happily ever after in a kingdom that you do not understand. And that's the hope that I have, and that's the hope you can have, and I hope you will. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much today that you are a God who doesn't leave us or abandon us, but you pursued us. And regardless of where we're at in this life today, God, you invite us to be a part of your family. And as a part of this family, God, you give us forgiveness, you give us grace, and you take away all of our sin. God, right now, though, I realize that in a crowd this large, in this auditorium, that there are some people who are hurting with the relationships in their life. And I ask right now, God, that you would send healing love to them. 
whatever your situation is right now, maybe it's in your marriage and some words have been said and you're growing further away from one another. You're like, this was not what I signed up for and you feel the pain and you need God to show up. I want you to know that He's here right now and He wants to bring healing to Maybe you've gone through a divorce and you've been beating yourself up and feeling guilty and discouraged. And today, God wants to take that pain away from you. He wants to remind you that does not define you. I define you. My love is for you. My forgiveness is for you. Walk away from the past. Quit looking in the rearview mirror and go forward. And I'll show you a different Maybe you're single today, single by choice, single by divorce, single by the death of a spouse. And you're struggling today and you're single. I want you to know that Jesus was single. He knows what you're going through and he's right there with you and for you and he doesn't walk away. Maybe right now you're just dealing with some unanswered prayer in your life. You prayed and you prayed and you prayed prayed and nothing has changed I just want to encourage you hang in there don't let go don't give up God is close God is near God is working all things together for a good that you don't see right now and maybe the reality is that the person that you're most distant from right now is God himself you've never made a commitment to him maybe this is the first time you're at church or you're kind of drifted back You've been trying to find hope in so many other things, but the ultimate hope, I'm telling you, it's not in singleness, it's not in marriage, but your ultimate hope is in Him. So if today you're ready to surrender to the One who loves you most, if you're ready to say, I need His forgiveness, I need His grace, I need His love, I need Him in my life, I need His presence, I need a relationship with God. If you're ready to turn away from your sin and turn toward God, if you're ready today to say, I want to invite Him into my life, I invite you to repeat this prayer after me. And it's not just a prayer that we pray by ourselves. No one prays alone here at the jar. We pray in community. So I invite you to simply pray after me. Heavenly Father, today I give my life completely to you. Jesus, save me from my sin. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray.